Simons, nobody does it better from the spy who loves me, uh, love me, pardon me. And uh, so this one, just right up front, was not as good as I remembered it. Oh, really? Yes. It's probably one that I paid the most attention to so far. Okay. <laughs> so I think for me, the reason this one, um, I wouldn't put it in the bottom, and I definitely wouldn't put it in the top, but this one was kind of the most mediocre James Bond yeah, movie to I, me. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, and, and I said it uh, 
the day before yesterday when we watched this that this felt like a greatest hits album. Um, yeah. It didn't. It didn't feel like. It didn't feel like the album where you get the best song. It, it felt like the album where it was like, okay, this worked and this worked and this worked, and we're gonna put all that into one, into one collection. And uh, the product's good. I don't get me wrong. It, as a matter of fact, if you're wanting to save yourself, uh, you know. 25 movies worth of Bond and you're wanting to boil down uh, what's great about a particular actor's James Bond, I actually would recommend this as Roger Moore's contribution to your watch party. Pardon me, taking a drink of water. Um, Just because of that. Um, With that said, I don't think it's Roger Moore's best movie. And I, I definitely don't think it's, it's in the top five James Bond movies. That's it. It's really good. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I think this is the first one where you noticed that there were naked ladies dancing in the <laughs> yeah. title. Yeah. Um, so a little background for anyone watching, uh, or anybody thinking about watching James Bond. Um, and if you got really interested all of a sudden, shame on you. Um, <laughs> We live in the internet age. Why are you watching James Bond for that? Um, <laughs> kidding. Not not putting that forward as something you need to do. Um, if you do, you need to go to a doctor. Um, no. Uh, so, fun fact, uh, as we've already mentioned on this podcast, uh, in the 1960s and 70s, men tended to treat women, especially in entertainment, as objects. Um, and sadly, that's not something that has totally gone away. Mm-hmm. And you can see that even today. Um, but back then, uh, even for something that was geared towards largely 13 to 43-year-old men, <laughs> um, the idea was kind of this striptease kind of effect and the idea was to give the silhouettes of the women and in a lot of the james bond movies to be fair they just shoot the women in silhouette and it's not entirely obvious that they're naked right however the particular lighting used for this one (laughs) made it very obvious especially in high definition that these are naked ladies dancing in the opening titles when like the ones previous when they have it I just assume as they were shooting it, they were just had on like tight leotards or bodysuits or something. And so, actually, no. Uh, largely in the opening titles of a lot of these films, unless you explicitly see someone and they are not naked, they're naked. Um, That's sad. I told you, uh, yeah. objectification right. of women. Um, but uh, this is one that will. We'll get into it. We'll, we'll get into yeah. it in just a second when we get to the titles. But long and short of it is, uh, back when these were shot, they were not shot in high definition. Right. But whenever uh, the process of restoring them went back to the original film, uh, it clears a lot up and actually expands in a lot of uh, portions the, the amount of screen that's actually shown to the viewer. Yeah. And with that being the case, you see a lot more than you used to. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, Buyer beware. Uh, just just a heads up. But let's let's jump into the movie. So right off the bat, uh, we get uh, 
we get Roger Moore's uh, new. Uh, how do we say it? His his new gun barrel sequence. Uh, he comes on in a much more hurried Bond theme. Uh, we come in on a British submarine. And again, uh, one of the first instances of full frontal nudity in a James Bond movie uh, with a Playboy mounted on the wall in the submarine. Um, and they're just going about their day doing what I'd assume uh, British nuclear submarines do. Uh the skipper looks through the scope and says, oh my God. And then all of a sudden we cut over and they've lost a nuclear submarine. Uh, at this point, we go over to the Kremlin uh, where General Gogol, uh, who will be a recurring, uh, I want to say, we'll, we'll call him an antagonistic foil. He's not really the bad guy, but he's on the generally on the opposition side and he is there to make things more difficult for Bond and the British Secret Service. So he is the KGB chief and he decides to call uh, Agent Triple X via his secretary whose name is Rubelwich. <laughs> which <laughs> is me up. which is Russian for m money penny. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so Bernard Lee, looking really long in the tooth as M, uh, calls Bond via Money Penny uh, and says, "Pull out immediately." <laughs> and the double entendres have begun, and we go over to Bond, who is mid coitus with uh, a lady, I, I guess, uh, and he gets a telegraph from his uh, Seiko watch, and <laughs> it's spelling out letter by letter when it would have been just as easy for, you know, a beeper to come up and be like, oh, I need to get back to yeah. MI6. I but, mean, the amount, the amount of stuff it printed on that little thing, like label that is printing out, that would not have fit inside that watch. So what you don't know is that is a watch, telegraph, and label maker. <laughs> when he went home, he just sat there and he was like, S, turn the dial, U, turn the dial, G, turn the dial, a, turn the dial, R, and he hit print, and then he stuck it on his sugar box. And I guess it uses air and stuff just to create this label that would not fit inside that watch. Nano machines. Because, I mean, if it nano was, however, they roll up in their machines. It's yeah. nano machines. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, see, Bond always forward thinking, except when it comes to women. Uh, so at this point, uh, we have one of my uh, favorite lines, uh, which is, uh, the lady looks at Bond as he throws on his brightly colored ski suit. But James, I need you. And he says, so does England and runs out the door. Yeah. Uh, and that has led to one of my favorite things to say as I go out the door and someone tries to grab me and they say, hey, Mark. And I go, England needs me and just <laughs> run out the door. Anyhow, uh, at the same time, we see another couple uh, mid-coitus. Uh, one of whom has a very hairy back, and I felt a lot more secure at that point. <laughs> um, and uh, he's a very suave guy that, fun fact, was actually up for the role of James Bond at the same time as Roger Moore, um, but did not get it. Oh. Um, and so during this call, he's a Russian uh, agent, and you think that tri Agent Triple X is going to be a man? Twist! It's the lady! Yeah. Um, Barbara Bach who uh, since 1981 has been the wife of Beatle Ringo Starr. So we've got two Beatles that have been involved <laughs> in James Bond, uh, in Ringo and uh, Paul. And uh, 
yeah, uh, she uh, answers the call. In the meantime, her boyfriend has a mission of his own and goes off uh, to do so. We find out that his mission is to kill James Bond. Uh, and we get a ski chase to disco music. And man, the <laughs> soundtrack in this movie, I was missing John Barry. Uh, it's not its not the worst James Bond soundtrack, but it is not good. Uh, and so we have a ski chase. At one point, Bond spins around backwards, is skiing backwards, uses his ski pole as a gun and kills Triple X's boyfriend. And we've known him for all of five seconds, so we feel nothing. Yeah. Um, so at this point, Bond is on the run, and he skis off this massive cliff uh, out in open air, and his skis fall off, mm-hmm. and he's in free fall, and the music cuts out, and we just hear the whistling of air, and the skis are just kind of flipping around <laughs> in the air above him. And then we hear the Bond theme as he deploys a parachute that's the Union Jack, and it's beautiful, and then we go into our title. Before we get to the title, fun fact for you, that that jump could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Do you know how? No. Okay, so he jumps. The skis are in free fall. He is below the skis. They could have hit him in the head. Well, there's that, but... They actually make contact with the parachute as it's deploying. They could have stopped the parachute from deploying. Oh. And if you watch closely in the movie, they brush up against the parachute, but the parachute is still able to open. Had it been just marginally closer whenever the parachute's deploying, that stuntman could have died. Wow. Very easily. Um, One of the most awesome James Bond uh, stunt sequences. Uh, We go into the song Nobody Does It Better, which is the first uh, James Bond theme song to not have the title of the movie as the title of the song. The title of the movie is in the song, The Spy Who Loved Me, but it is not the title song. Wow. Uh, And what's really fun about this title, uh, Naked Ladies uh, Notwithstanding, is the fact that everyone for the first minute of this title song is jumping on trampolines, (laughs) including Bond. And it is so awkward. Yeah. Um, But uh, we go through the song, and I enjoy this song, so much so that I sung it at a staff meeting. Um, (laughs) And uh, we get through it, and we find out that the Russians have lost a sub, the British have lost a sub, They are both trying to figure out what's going on. Now, at this point, if the plot feels familiar, it's because it is pretty much a ripoff of You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Uh, Fun fact, the director of this film, Lewis Gilbert, also directed that one. He loved the plot so much that he used it again for a second movie. And guess what? If you enjoyed it both of those times, you're going to enjoy it next week for Moonraker because it's the same plot. So does he do anything else that's not with this kind of plot or is he just like a one-trick pony? Uh, he does it with different actors. That's the same plot. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, outside of James Bond, like other movies. He's no, there's some... So it's it's okay. the same MacGuffin is, is really the issue. It's the same central inciting thing. You have a different uh, main bad guy, but even in the next movie, 
right after this, uh, the henchman's the same. Uh, spoilers for this movie. Jaws survives and comes <laughs> back in the next movie. Um, it's it's kind of his bread and butter. Uh, I think the idea was um, they the Bond movies have a kind of a pendulum that they do um, from movie to movie to movie mm-hmm. to movie. And if you watch the Sean Connery movies, they start very small. It's basically a detective story. Uh, he's trying to hunt down what happened to this agent who died. Um, and then goes to an island where Dr. No is trying to intercept rockets just to humiliate the West. It's it's not world domination. It's literally petty humiliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as the movies continue, you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. plots. And eventually it gets a little ridiculous to the point that they scale back to where it's very personal. It's a guy hunting a guy or trying to steal a piece of information. Uh, Dr. No went a little bit smaller with From Russia With Love. They used bigger sets, but the plot was smaller. It was literally just trying to smuggle out a decoding machine. Uh, And usually Bond is at his best when he has the right mix of the two or they go to the very small. When they get to the ridiculously big, it's the point where you're going to lose a lot of people. A lot of people will enjoy those big, bombastic uh, Bond films. Uh, Say that five times fast. (laughs) Um, But a lot of times you lose something of the character. And in this, as I was watching, I was trying to figure out why I didn't enjoy this as much as the past couple of weeks. And it's really because... um, it became more about the spectacle and less about the character. And, and even when James Bond is shallow, the character interactions. Yeah. Um, that's why I really, so far out of Roger Moore's movies, I've really enjoyed, uh, uh, and now I'm blanking on it, uh, Live and Let Die and <laughs> uh, The Man with the Golden Gun more than The Spy Who Loved Me. I would argue that Spy Who Loved Me is a better movie than The Man with the Golden Gun. Um, I don't know that I would say that about uh, Live and Let Die, but hey, to each his own. Everyone has their own favorite Bond movie, and every person or every Bond movie that you might think of as the worst is someone's favorite. Yeah. Um, So, back to the movie. Um, so this, this movie, we start splitting the action into, uh, Agent Triple X, uh, Major Amasaba. Um, I gotta be honest, I'm going to call her Triple X for most of this time, just because it's easier than, uh, yeah. Um, sorry guys. Uh, (laughs) anyhow, uh, we're going to split the action between triple X and bond, uh, just because they're on for about the first third of the movie, they're on a collision course with each other. And then they will, uh, meet, separate, meet, separate throughout the movie. And that's the driving force of the movie. This is the bond meets his equal and his equals a lady. Yeah. Um, and that's, that is basically the selling point for this movie in theaters. Uh, fun fact, this movie came out the same summer as uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind by Steven Spielberg and uh, Star Wars by George Lucas. And so because of that, 
um, at the end of this film, it says the next movie is for your eyes only. Uh, it is not. The next movie is Moonraker, which is a response to the space movies. Ah. Uh, so back to this movie. Triple <laughs> uh, X is told uh, that her beau was killed. Uh, they do not name the killer. Uh, we all know it was Bond. Um, we go over to MI6 and Bond is in uniform. Yay! I'm always excited. Um, <laughs> and in this scene, we actually meet uh, the man who will be M after Bernard Lee uh, leaves the role because he passes away. Um, Bernard Lee will have one more James Bond film uh, before he passes away. Uh, that will be next week's Moonraker. Um, Robert Brown is the man who will be M in the future. Is it the same character? We don't know. Uh, because Admiral or General Gogol uh, in the Soviet camp uh, was a completely different character back in From Russia with Love. Mm. So, anyhow, uh, Bond's mission is unveiled. Uh, uh, his mission in the cold open unveiled the Russian ability to track uh, the British subs. Uh, Bond puts up a little sheet with the... It has a, a route marker on it. It's, a, it's like a transparency sheet. Okay. And he puts it over the map that actually has the route of the sub before it disappeared. Okay. So at this point, we know that someone has the ability to track their nuclear subs. Uh, we go over, and pretty early in this movie, we meet our villain, Carl Stromberg. Uh, and right off the bat, to show us that he's evil, we see his webbed hands. And uh, <laughs> he kills his assistant uh, just because she apparently leaked information about him. Um, we see his underwater lair, uh, and we meet his uh, henchmen. Uh, Jaws and Sandor and uh, right as the contractors who've helped uh, design a lot of the stuff that Stromberg's going to use through this film he uh, he offers their pay and sends them away after he's killed his assistant they're a little hesitant as they get in the elevator understandably because this man just murdered someone yeah. right in front of them and uh, they get on the elevator, they get on the helicopter, and as they take off, they're just high-fiving. They're like, yeah, man, they I, I knew he was going to kill us. I just knew he was going to yeah. ISIS. Aren't you glad he didn't? And right about the time they say that, he blows up their helicopter. <laughs> and then he calls the bank. He's like, hey, could you cancel that check? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost payday, and I think I might have overpaid. <laughs> and before he hangs up, and I might have iced the guys I was going to pay. <laughs> But anyhow, uh, so we now know he's a bad guy because he's just killing people left and right. Uh, Bond and uh, Agent Triple X are both bound for Cairo. We learned uh, separately. At this point, uh, Bond is in the desert and we meet a very white sheik and a very white harem uh, where Bond is going to partake of the sheik's hospitality. Yes. And Bond's a pig. And yes. At this point, we learned that the point of contact or points of contact uh, for uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out for figuring out how all of this stuff is going down are uh, Mr. Fakesh and a Max Kalba uh, in Cairo. So as Bond arrives at Fakesh's house. I need to be marking where I'm at in my notes or I'm going to get lost. Uh, <laughs> yep. I'm going through 
marking off where I've been so I don't get lost. Um, uh, a woman meets Bond and tells him, hey, uh, Fikesh isn't going to be back for a while. Why don't we go to bed? And uh, he's like, oh, well, that sounds interesting, but I really have to work because uh, M has been all over me for taking forever to do missions that literally I could walk from point A to point B and solve. But I keep <laughs> sleeping around uh, and uh, then I have to take all the time off for the STD treatments <laughs> and I'm just, I'm no good to anybody. And meanwhile, as Bond is telling this woman about all of his venereal diseases, uh, she looks up and sees that she is about to be shot because she's in close proximity to Bond. Yeah. Bond sees this and uses her as a human shield because that's what women are good for, for Bond. Uh, and Bond immediately gives chase to Sandor, who is the gunman. Uh, Bond and Sandor fight slowly. Uh, and... Uh, Bond pushes Sandor to the edge of the building. Sandor grabs the two-mile-wide tie that Bond is wearing because it's the <laughs> 1970s. Uh, and uh, Bond knocks the tie out of his hand, sending Sandor to his death, but not before uh, we find out that Fikesh is at the pyramids. Oh, my gosh. All right, so... Real quick note about slow fight scenes in James Bond at this particular point in history. So, as noted last week, uh, the Bond films have kind of moved away from being the upper echelon of filmmaking, and at this point, they're kind of their own thing. They're they're in their own rut. Uh, that includes their stunt team. The same stunt team that has been around since 1962's Dr. No mm. is still making these films. And as they make these films, James Bond gets older. The stunt team gets older and as men get older they get slower and as men get older as stuntmen the stunts and fight scenes get a little slower yeah uh, so if it seems to be taking a really long time just hit fast forward and the fight scenes get really fast <laughs> uh, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll be at the pyramids We're back and when we join bond uh he is in pursuit of fakesh at the pyramids uh at night at a cool uh light show i guess in the 1970s <laughs> they didn't have netflix so they would go to egypt and watch uh, really cool hue lights around the pyramids uh at this point triple x is meeting with fakesh uh fakesh notices the seven foot two jaws how no one else does i don't know uh richard kyle uh Passed away in 2014, plays Jaws. Uh, just gentle giant of a human being. You can see him uh, in Happy Gilmore as Happy's former boss. Uh, and if you look closely in the original pilot of the TV show, The Incredible Hulk, he was actually the original Incredible Hulk uh, before he was fired for being too lanky. Uh, and they brought in <laughs> Lou, Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, he was too skinny. They wanted someone who was more muscular and buff. They didn't want... They didn't need somebody who was seven foot two. <laughs> well, they felt like stature-wise, he was the... He was the right height, but he was the wrong build. Yeah. Um, which is sad, because I think that he would have been a very different, very interesting uh, portrayal of the character. Yeah. But, uh, fun note, uh, Richard Kyle jumps into this role, uh, 
comes to fame in 1977. A good friend of his, who is of similar height, is in another big blockbuster this year, uh, Star Wars. Peter Mayhew, uh, seven foot two or seven foot four as well. They were both in monster movies. They would always get to play the monsters because of their height. And they both had their big hits, their big claim to fame in 1977. I wonder how they met. Monster movies. So they met because of their pursuit of monster yes. movies. Uh, and both, I've heard, were just both passed away now. But yeah. uh, both, I've heard, were just the loveliest of human beings. Um, so, uh, Fikesh is running away from Jaws. Uh, we immediately see how Jaws got his name with his big steely grin, and he kills Fikesh. Uh, no one in this movie really... There's no real effect of what Jaws is doing to them. It just looks like he kisses them on the neck. <laughs> or a vampire bites them. Well, here's the thing. Without... With those teeth, the fact that <laughs> as he's chasing Fakesh, he bites through a massive lock. Right. Um, had he bitten Fakesh, there would be blood everywhere. Like, it would spurt back into the crowd. And I don't even know that it shows any on there when they find him. Uh, not on Fakesh. It does later with a, a later victim, but not on Fakesh. <laughs> um, so, Bond finds uh, Fakesh's body. Jaws vanishes really quickly. He's actually pretty quick for a, for a big guy. <laughs> um, Bond fights off attackers as Agent Triple X watches. Uh, Bond bids her adieu. They run reunite later at Max Calva's club, which uh, straight up looks like the set from Casablanca. Uh, and at this point we find out that they both are students of each other. Uh, and this is the first point where uh, in any James Bond movie since Honor Majesty's Secret Service, it is mentioned that James Bond was married uh, and that his wife died. And I even picked up on that. Yes, you like, did. I was like, hey, that's the first time I've mentioned that. Well, it's because it's one of the few pieces of actual character development for the character of James Bond that has happened in any of these movies. Yeah. He's just a womanizing super spy who goes in and kills people and just sexes maybe a perk uh in sean connery it almost felt like a duty uh and, and you'll notice whenever roger moore kisses in this film it's very closed mouth uh so yeah it's uh it seems like maybe sex is a perk but i don't know i don't know that it's a perk they, these men don't seem to enjoy women yeah um uh roger moore seems kind of playful about it but i almost feel like it's part of his job um and and he seems to be much more charming than connery the only bond actor who seems to actually enjoy that women are a part of the job is lazenby and that's just because he's that guy in real life yeah um all right back to <laughs> calvis club uh jaws pulls up in the tiniest maintenance van somebody get this man an suv or a pickup truck or something because they're giving him like little mini coopers to drive around in i mean it looked like a kid's toy when he got out of it yes um next so, to him so inside bond and triple x are uh vying for calba's microfilm Calba's called away to a phone call and he's killed by Jaws and Jaws just daintily kisses him on the neck and leaves a little blood mark like he's dracula <laughs> um Bond trails the giant murderer as if that would be hard because he's seven foot two. Uh, Triple X tags along. 
they both jump into the back of Jaws's truck, and uh, we find out that Jaws is on top of it. He's listening to them. Uh, he knows they're back there. Yeah, and he's he's just having a great time. I've mentioned before that the bad guys in in Bond <laughs> films are just the sweetest people. They don't they don't murder anyone. They're just they're there for a good time. Uh, there's a brief tender moment where Triple uh, X and Bond are in the back of the car, and Triple X kind of falls asleep on Bond's shoulder. And then Jaw stops, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, ew, we, we're, we're rival agents. We're not supposed to like each other. <laughs> uh, cooties. Um, and at this point, we find out that uh, Bond and Triple X are just not really good at their job because bon uh, Jaws is seven foot two, and they cannot find him. Uh, and he's really tricky. And so when Bond finally gets the drop on Jaws, Jaws gets the drop on Bond and steals his gun. Triple X holds him up at gunpoint and showing everyone that they're both just terrible agents. Jaws disarms her, then knocks a ruin down on himself. Triple <laughs> uh, X runs to Jaws' little uh, motor vehicle. Not sure, quite sure what to call it because in a second, Jaws is going to tear it apart like it's made of tinfoil. Yeah. Uh, we find out at this point Bond has the keys. Uh, Bond mocks her driving, uh, and uh, come to find out by reading trivia on this, uh, all of that is improvised because Barbara Bach did not know how to drive a stick shift, and <laughs> Roger Moore was mocking the fire out of her. So that was true mocking when he was doing that, and they yes. just kept it. Yes. Oh, how funny. Uh, at, at this, Did she not know going into filming that, that that was a stick shift that she was driving? I or do not know. All, all I know is... It works really well in the film because Bond is making fun of her and then she shows him and actually runs Jaws over. Um, and they get away, uh, at least for a little bit, until the van breaks down in the middle of the desert and the two must walk. And we get just the beautiful score of Lawrence of Arabia in this film. <laughs> and you're reminded, man, that was a good movie. Oh, well, back to this one. Uh, <laughs> This is a good movie, too. Just not Lawrence of Arabia good. Uh, they hike to an oasis on the edge of the Nile, and they catch a boat. Uh, Bond checks the microfilm to see what's up. Uh, Bond and Triple X kiss, and then she pulls out a cigarette and knocks Bond out with some knockout gas. Uh, Bond wakes up in a village in Cairo. No Triple X. Uh, he's going to be searching around for a while. And how he knows exactly where to go, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but he stumbles upon uh, MI6, MI6, MI6's, Freudian slip, guys, uh, MI6's uh, hideout that, once again, they have moved from London to Cairo. They have moved everyone. They've moved Moneypenny, M, uh, Q, the entirety of Q branch to Cairo. They're in there testing out gadgets that won't get used on this mission. Right. Just because. Uh, once he gets inside past Moneypenny, he sees uh, General Gogol and Triple X, and he's like, what is going on? We find out that this is a, uh, a little bit of detente going on between the British and the UK. They are going to work together to do this mission. Uh, we uh, see a small clue uh, that 
uh, Bond and Triple X just keep trying to one-up each other on who knows more. And it's always fun when Bond knows less than someone. <laughs> uh, because in any other movie, that would show the ability to learn something. The ability right. to find something out and and move on. But no, Bond has to know everything. Until Triple X knows more and you're like, yeah, stick it to Bond. <laughs> That was kind of funny. Um, but they find out that Stromberg is involved in all of what's going on. So Bond and Triple X take a train. Why? Because it's a Bond movie and we need to, as we stated before, have the greatest hits of Bond getting into a fight with a henchman on a train. So Jaws attacks Triple X. Uh, Bond fights him and uh, electrocutes him with a broken lamp, kicks him off the train, and that scene really didn't do anything other than give us a fight scene on a train because yeah. that was popular in Live and Let Die and From Russia With Love. Yeah. Uh, Bond and Triple X consummate their relationship, which is two people trying to solve a crime. So that means they have to have sex, right? Um, at this point, Q meets up with Bond uh, and gives him the Lotus Esprit, uh, which is a really cool car from the mid-70s. Don't get too attached because in two movies, it's going to get blown up. Um, and at this point, uh, Strasburg sends uh, for Bond and Triple X um, via a lady in a bikini because that's who you want to send as a personal assistant is someone who's just out, out there as eye candy, apparently. And the thing that got me about her when she got off the boat to get them was she's wearing high heels mm -hmm. and like... Somebody, if you're on the water in a boat, you're going to be wearing flip-flops or no shoes at all. No, they make your... Because she was wearing, they, like, fancy high heels. Hey, they make your butt look better. That's <laughs> that's why you wear heels. And this is a Bond movie, darn it. <laughs> Women are here to be objectified. Come on, woman. What What's the matter with you? Don't you know your place is... I don't know. The Bond doesn't seem to know where women's place is. <laughs> Anyhow... Your place is right here. My place is where I want it to be. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so we find out that Bond is undercover as Robert Sterling. Uh, and Stromberg uh, decides to go monologue like a good Bond villain and tell us all that he is a, a recluse who enjoys living underwater. He doesn't like anybody. Uh, and he thinks that underwater is the, the place to be. Because you can totally breathe underwater. Yeah. You can totally... No, you, you can't do any of that <laughs> stuff. Um, but we, I'm curious if at any point in this, it was going to be further explained that Stromberg had, um, had developed gills because we already saw the webbed hands. He's kind of a mutant. I, I wonder if that was ever in the, in the cards. That would have been an interesting twist. Um, yeah. And it would have explained more of his reclusive habits, but we never really get that. Instead, uh, at this point, uh, Bond and Triple X are sent away. Uh, we know that Stromberg knows that uh, they're both secret agents, and he orders him killed. At this point, we get a chase scene through the mountains. Why he didn't kill him as they were on their way back to the mainland, I don't know, <laughs> other than the fact that we needed a car chase. Yeah. Um, but we get a really cool chase through the mountains. Um where someone uses a sidecar on a motorcycle as a torpedo, <laughs> which is a really bad weapon because if it doesn't work, 
you're out a torpedo and that's it. And they it. totally saw it coming before like it got anywhere near them. It is the slowest moving yeah. missile ever. And they were able to get around and blow up a semi instead. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and after that, and the, the dummy on the motorcycle crashes, it's a literal dummy. You can tell it's not hard. Um, <laughs> I missed, I missed crashes. I didn't see the dummy part. Uh, I is, saw the crash. I just didn't see that. It is now the uh, bikini lady in the helicopter versus the Lotus. And she pulls in close enough that she can wink at Bond. And he's like, oh, she winked at me. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, she's trying to kill you, Bond. Uh, focus on the road. Um, sure enough, he drives off uh, the road because he's not focusing on the road. He's focusing on the bikini lady winking at him. Um, and it's at this point we're like, well, better swim back to shore. Except... This car turns into a submarine. Yeah, that was a pretty cool uh, effect. So uh, the Lotus is actually the inspiration for uh, the Tesla by Elon Musk. Uh, and uh, Elon Musk actually wanted to do two things. One, make a working Lotus to submarine uh, hybrid. And then he wanted to be able to do it with the Tesla. Uh, I have not heard that he has successfully done this yet, but he is a madman, and it would not surprise me in the slightest if he achieved it. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much that car would cost if he does. Like, way a couple too, million? Way <laughs> too much. Uh, so, at this point, uh, apparently they've got missiles in the back of the Lotus, and I'm like, why didn't you use these earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, they launch it out of the submarine. We then get a chase scene underwater, because those are always fun, all of Thunderball. And they then drive out of the ocean onto the beach. Uh, Bond drops a fish uh, yeah. out onto the people who are looking on horrified. There's a guy who's drinking who does a double take on the wine bottle he's holding. Uh, and they go back to their safe house. And at this point, Triple X discovers that it was Bond who killed her boyfriend. Uh, at this point, she tells Bond, hey, when the mission is over, you're a dead man. I'm going to murder you. I'm going to kill you for what you did. And Bond says, well, let's see how this works out. Yeah. Uh, at this point, uh, Bond and Triple X go aboard a submarine um, where Triple uh, X decides that now's the time to take a shower on an all-male submarine. Yeah. Uh, one of the crewmen walks in and is in just absolute shock because he hasn't seen a woman in ages and decides to leave uh, because, yeah. Um, At this point, Stromberg's uh, ship that was shown to us earlier, which is a massive tanker, uh, swallows the submarine hull, and they are taken captive. At this point, the movie is full on. You only live twice, and we have a big uh, base that is sucked up the the specialized military equipment, this time a nuclear submarine. Uh, And the submarines are deployed while the... uh, while the Navy is held captive, Bond escapes, and all of a sudden we're having a big Navy versus bad guy battle yeah. inside this giant uh, tanker. Uh, fun fact, uh, the cinematographer for this film was going blind uh, and needed help lighting and shooting this particular scene. So he called in an old buddy of his, a little known filmmaker called Stanley Kubrick, uh, famous for films such as The Shining, Dr. Strangelove, uh, myriad of other fantastic films, 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, and he actually shot this film on the condition that no one ever found out we found out. (laughs) Um, So we get a really cool uh, 
elongated battle sequence. Uh, eventually, the bad guys lock themselves in the control room, and Bond uses a, a nuclear bomb's detonator to destroy the barrier. Uh, at this point, we learned that the nukes are going to be launched from the two submarines that left. Uh, Bond uses uh, the communications equipment to tell the subs to target each other. Uh, they do. They blow up. Yay! We're happy! Uh, and the Navy and Bond escape the exploding Liparis. Or Liparis. I don't know how it's pronounced, so don't worry about correcting me. This is a podcast anyway, so why are you talking to your earbuds? This isn't a phone call. This is a podcast. Uh, anyhow, so... Uh, Bond goes to rescue Triple X on a very early jet ski. Kind of looks like a Xerox machine. Um, and at this point, uh, Bond gets to the top of the uh, bad guy hideout because there was no other security. And Peck had just lets him up, thinking that he's going to drop Bond through the same hole he killed the lady at the beginning of the movie. And uh, he just straight up murders Stromberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, after this, Bond fights Jaws, magnetizes his teeth, uh, dropping him into a sharp tank. Uh, and as you noted, uh, if this is the way Jaws went, that would be really disappointing after all the other things he yeah. survived. Yes. Uh, Bond and Triple X escape inside of an escape pod while the Navy just bombs the fire out of this base. Uh, I forgot to mention earlier that Bond and the captain have this very brief mention of, hey, we got the instructions to blow this up. And he's like, give me one hour. And it's <laughs> it's the old turn in your badge and gun, except Bond doesn't have either of those things. Um, so at this point, uh, Bond pulls out some champagne and she points a gun at him. And he's apparently charming enough to con her into sleeping with him instead of killing him. And Jaws swims the wrong direction uh, to safety. Uh, instead of swimming towards land, he swims out to the open ocean to rejoin his people. Um, <laughs> their escape craft is recovered um, and uh, M and everyone open up the, the blinds to see uh, Bond and Triple X mid-coitus uh, and M goes Bond and General Gogo goes Triple X and <laughs> And they ask, what are you doing, Bond? He goes, keeping the British end up, sir. And drops the <laughs> curtains, and we get the gay men's chorus of Nobody Does It Better. And that's how we end this film, in the most serious man manner possible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. This this is a fun one. This is one I, I recommend as a greatest hits album. I don't... I don't necessarily recommend it on its own accord because other movies do the same things it's trying to do better. Uh, but it's it's fun. It's if you want a if you want a greatest hits album for James Bond, watch this one. If you want the best of Roger Moore or of Bond in general, they're much better films. Yes. Yeah. I will say like I I do have a hard time following them and this is this is the first one I actually was able to follow and, and know what was going on throughout the movie. Oh, that's great. You, Which, you've already got a leg up for next week because it's the same movie. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, so next week we'll be talking about Moonraker, uh, a response to uh, the sci-fi films that are taking storm because Star Wars made a load of money. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we want to wish a 
congratulations and uh, hopes and prayers to one of our main listeners. Uh, Callie-Ann, we're rooting for you and we're hoping uh, that uh, Baby D arrives uh, safe and sound uh, here before our next episode comes out. Yes, absolutely. All right. So we hope you guys have a great week. Uh, We hope that uh, your week is more satisfying than this Bond film. (laughs) And we'll see you next week uh, when we talk about Moonraker.